Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Turn with me to Acts chapter the 19, if you will. <clears throat> I'm going to be talking about Ephesians like I was last week and continuing that. But I wanted to read this account. Um, Paul, if you will, I guess we could say the church was kind of established in Ephesians 19. That's where he met some disciples of John the Baptist, remember? And he asked them a pointed question. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, well, we've not even heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he asked them how they were baptized. And he said, well, we were baptized on the John's baptism. Amen. And so Paul went on to explain to him it was all about Jesus. And so when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so that's how we need to be baptized. That's throughout the New Testament we um, get that baptismal formula in the name of Jesus, and they receive the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, the initial evidence of the Holy Ghost, okay? So I think there were about 12 of them. We're not going to read the first part of Ephesians, but I think there were about 12 of these men that were there. But later on in Acts chapter 19, uh, if you look down into verse 23, and Ephesians gets its name, of course, from the city of Ephesus, okay? So this is one of the cities where Paul ministered to. We find out in the first part there that Paul was with Ephesus or in Ephesus for the space of about two years. So he was there teaching them, establishing this church. And now this epistle is written at a later time, but it's to this church in Ephesus, all right? So in Acts chapter 20, uh, 19, verse 23... It says, at the same time there arose uh, no small stir about that way, for a certain man by the name of Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation, and says, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see in here, that not alone in Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that there be no gods which are made by hands. All right? So this, in the city of Ephesus, they worship the goddess Diana. All right? And so this city, now it's no small city is what I wanted to bring out. Some 300,000 people is estimated to live in this city of Ephesus. That's a big metropolis, amen? So there's a lot there, and they have this Colosseum there, this theater, which they said would probably seat around 25,000 people. That's a big theater, amen? So this is no small uh, city. It's not just some hole in the wall, as we say sometimes, of smaller cities. But this is a metropolis, Paul's been preaching there, and this guy, by the name of Demetrius, he makes these little shrines of, or images, if you will, uh, idols of the, the uh, goddess Diana. And he says, you know, we have our wealth through this. He said, this is how we make our living. And he called the like craftsman, the other craftsman that made these things, and says, you look, you know, this Paul is kind of hurting our business. He's preaching that there be no gods that are made by hands. And that should be pretty obvious, right? If you just stop and think about it, what kind of a god would it be if you had to create him and then sit him on the mantle? Amen? 
And the wonderful thing about God is that we can't really comprehend him or understand all of his greatness, all of his fullness. If we could, then he really wouldn't be God, right? And so that's the powerful thing about it. But here in Ephesus, there's a kind of a concern going on because, uh, you know, he's kind of hurting their business, taking away um, from uh, this worship of Diana, all right? And so Paul's not only in this city, he said, but throughout all Asia, Paul hath persuaded and turned much people away, saying that there be no gods which are made with hands, so that not only uh, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should despi uh, be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worships. So Diana is a big figure in this area. Which Paul's putting a crunch on, on their worship here. Verse uh, 28. And when they heard these things, the men of the craft that were came to Demetrius, when they heard this thing, in verse 28, uh, they were filled with wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of Ephesus. And the whole city was filled with confusion, and having caught uh, Gaius and Artisticus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, okay, so they grabbed these two guys, Paul's companions, they grabbed these two guys and rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered into, in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not, and certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring that he would not adventure himself into the theater. All right, so here we are, these guys get all in an uproar. And all of a sudden, they start causing a disturbance. They grab a couple of Paul's um, companions, drag them into this theater. And you know Paul, he's this outspoken, uh, mighty man of God, right? He wants to go in there, and, and, but the disciples say, no, you can't do that. Don't do that. And I'm putting out, uh, pointing out the fact that there's a great disturbance here. It's not just a small stirring because even they had time leaders in Asia had time to send to Paul and say, hey, look, don't tell Paul not to go into the theater, all right? So they were not going in there. Uh, they did not want Paul to go in there. Uh, verse 32, some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not whereof they were come together. So this mass of people could have been up to uh, 25,000 in number, half of them, more than half of them, don't even know why they're there. And isn't that just like human nature? We're all going to rally, we're all going to have this great rally, but we really don't know what in the world we're even here for. And that's what they point out here. Half of them, more than half, didn't even know why they were come together. And they drew Alexandria out of the multitude, this was the Jews, putting him forward and Alexandria with the hand beckoned unto him and would have made defense unto the people. Verse 34, but when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. So isn't that interesting? For two hours, I mean, this is a powerful assembly and this is something that they're really embedded into their hearts and minds this worship of the goddess Diana. For two hours, 
they cried out. Amen? We can't go to church two hours or everybody gets a little nervous about it, right? If we last longer than two hours uh, worshiping Jehovah, amen, we've got to put a little entertainment in there. We've got to have some singing and some preaching and you've got to have some jokes in that preaching and some storytelling. But for the space of two hours, all they did was say, great is the goddess Diana of the Ephesians, amen? How much more for the church of the living God to be able to worship God and to lift up the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name, amen? And when the town clerk, let's see, had appeased the people, he said, you men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of Ephesus is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image that fell from Jupiter? Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius, the guy that brought all this on, and the craftsmen which are with him have a manner against any man, the law is open. And there are deputies, let them impede one another. But if you inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. Verse 40, for we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. And then he, when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. And so here's Paul, or here's this uh, town clerk coming before this great mass of people, and he's probably nervous, he's probably over the city, and remember, the Romans still have control, right? And they basically would let you do your own little thing, but they did not like rioting, and they liked to keep everything under control, all right? And so this town clerk says, look, we're going to have to give an answer for what's going on here today, and we really don't have a good answer to give, so if you got any disputes, and so the town clerk kind of quieted the whole thing and dismissed the assembly. But it's an interesting piece of, uh, of uh, writing here. As we can look into the book of Ephesians, we kind of get the sense that this is a big city, and this church there was probably a pretty large church, and the things that they fought against in the city, amen? We think we struggle against things, right, that are happening in our world today. It's really no different than back then. They were engrossed and involved in uh, false religions and worship of this great goddess Diana, amen? And so there's, the things really have not changed other than that we do see wickedness waxing worse and worse as we see the, the day approaching of the Lord. But they still went through these struggles and these trials. And a lot of these people that were in the church there were probably at one time worshipers of Diana, right? So they've crossed over the fence, and Paul's making a big impact in them. So Paul's writing to this church at Ephesus, and we talked about the first three chapters being um, about the believer's position in Christ. He talks about in the further six chapters in the book of Ephesians, the first three talk about his position in Christ, and the four, five, and six talk about the believer's conduct, how they should be conducting themselves. And so I've already talked about one, two, and three, and, and basically what it was is as I picked these out myself, but 
that we are called, we're chosen of God, amen? What a great thing to be chosen, to have the ability to come into this church today and to sit here and hear the truth, amen? It's a great, hallelujah, invitation that we have, amen? And not all the world understands that, praise God. But we've been called, we've been chosen of God. We are a chosen generation. And not only that, but we've been redeemed. We've been redeemed from this old sinful flesh. We know that in ourselves we're not worthy, we can't do it. But God has said, hey, I paid the price. I've redeemed you. Amen. So you are worthy today through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. We have been redeemed. And then he comes along with his spirit, the Holy Spirit, and he seals us, hallelujah, with the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit is so important. And he says it's the earnest of our inheritance. It's just the down payment. Amen. So if you think the Holy Ghost feels good, wait about heaven. Amen. Wait till the Lord comes and we're in heaven. Amen. If you think this is good, if you think our powerful services are good, we ain't seen nothing yet. Hallelujah. It's going to get better and better. Amen. So starting in chapter number four, Paul begins to exhort uh, the believers in their positions and how they should react or how they should behave themselves. Amen. To what God has given them. So in Ephesians chapter four, verse one, Paul writing, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. He reiterates this. We need to walk worthy of it. And that vocation just simply means the invitation or the calling. And I can't stress that enough to us this morning that we are, we are a chosen people. The church is a chosen generation. It's open to all. But thank God that he has given us the ability to react to that calling that he's placed upon our hearts and our minds. Amen? Just go into Walmart. Stand around. You'll see people busy passing by. Hundreds of people passing by. Most of them are clueless, right? Of the calling of Almighty God. That's part of our job as a church. We're ambassadors of the church. But to think that we have the ability, the right mind, and the desire to come into the house of God and to, to hear the word of God... It is a great thing, folks. Don't ever take it lightly. Amen? That's why we need to prepare ourselves before we come into the presence of God through prayer, hallelujah, fasting, getting our mind upon the Lord, because every service is powerful to us, and we don't need to miss anything. Amen? We need to ask God to speak to us, because we have this great invitation. He said this, walk worthy of the vocation in which you're called. In chapter 1, he says that the eyes of your standing, understanding being enlightened, he said, and that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The eyes of your understanding. Do you remember when your eyes were open? Do you remember when you had that understanding? And I can remember like it was yesterday. It was like the light bulb was turned off and you know, I went to the gas station. I started pumping gas after service. I was on cloud nine. I started witnessing to the attendant there back then. They used to pump your gas for you, you know. I started, and, and he just 
didn't quite get it, you know. I'm like, I got this great truth, you, you hear, and he didn't just, he just, just didn't receive it like I thought he would. And I went home, and I told my mom and my dad, and they were, they were like, it went right over their heads. And, and I can remember going up to my bedroom. I was 19 years old, and I'm, I'm thinking, my goodness, people just don't, they, they're not grasping a hold of this because God had enlightened us. He called us, he turns the light on, folks, that we may know what is the hope of his calling. And it's a great thing. Don't ever lose the fact that you have been called and that we have this great understanding. The Holy Spirit, that's why we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, because it leads us and guides us into all truth. Can you say amen? And so he says in verse 2, he said, go walk worthy of this vocation with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, patience, forbearing one another in love. So here he goes. He's trying to start now to give us some direction on the conduct of the believer. The first thing that he does, basically, he says that we need to come with meekness and long-suffering, have patience. But he jumps right into it, forbearing one another in love. And that simply means, forbearing means put up with. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to put up with you. Hallelujah. Because it's the word of God. It means to put up with. It means to endure. Oh my goodness, have you, have you just, oh, uh, some of you are sitting by your spouses, so I know you're not enduring your spouses, all right? But have you endured, amen, some, some brothers and sisters in the Lord to put up with them? If this was what Paul's trying to tell them to do, he says, I want you to, I want you to in, uh, forbear, I want you forbear, I want you to put up with one another in love, Hallelujah. Verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity, everybody say unity, of the spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring means to make it one's duty of utmost effort. Not just say, well, I'm going to get by. It's your duty. Bless God, I'm going to sit on this side of the church because I can't hardly stand that individual on the other side. No, it's your duty to put up with them. It's your duty to endure. Amen? He's saying it's endeavoring to keep the unity because there's power in unity. Hallelujah. There's power when we come together in one mind and one accord and we begin to worship God and, and we're able to overlook our differences and our faults and our failures. And that's the problem with us. We, and I can remember when I first came into a church and, you know, I've, I had this holier-than-thou attitude for a while. And I thought, well, why can't they do this and why can't they do that, you know. And, and pretty soon God knocks you down a few times and you get up and um, brush off the, the bruises and the scrapes. And you realize that's why he says you got to come with humility and meekness. We're nothing. And he says, you know, with whatever judgment you judge out, he says, that's, you actually do the same thing. If you say that individual's a liar, he's saying you're actually a liar also. 
He's saying, if you say that person's a thief, he's saying, well, you know what? You're a thief too. In different areas, we may maybe not be exactly like that individual, but he says, and however you measure out, that's what's going to be measured back to you again. So if you want mercy, we got to give mercy. But the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace within the church, almighty, that, uh, God can move, hallelujah, when there's unity, when there's peace in our midst, amen. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. That means he really hates them, an abomination. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift to running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that what? Soweth discord among brethren. So intent. The first thing Paul, after he tries to focus on, man, you're, you're called, you're chosen, God sealed you, you're a great person, you're great, you're in the church of the living God, and the first thing he does after that is try to swoop in and say, hey, you need to love your brother. You need to live in uh, unity of the faith and love. Amen. He's saying you need to be able to get along, to endure, and to put up with each other. Psalms chapter 133 verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Everybody say unity. Hallelujah. John chapter 13, verse 34, 35. Jesus speaking, he said, a new commandment. Think about it. Where we try to stay rigidly by the Ten Commandments, right? He says, I give you a new commandment. And that's this, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. There's a reason for this. It tells us in the next verse, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. Amen? The world looks on us and it sees us and our differences and that we're from all different walks of life and they see that we love one another and it's a testimony unto them, right? Because they have it out in the world, the backbiting and the lying and the discord and all the things that are sown in the world, right? But when they see it different in the church, that's when we know that we're disciples of Jesus Christ in that you have love one to another. Can you say amen? amen. We need to love one another. And then he goes on in verse 4. There's one body, one spirit. Even as you're called, one hope of your calling, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And he's so he's saying, you know what, there's, there's one body, and there's one spirit, amen, and we need to have... Uh, compassion and love for the world, amen, and a lot of time the world is, uh, especially to apostolic Pentecostals, they're 
like, well, you're narrow-minded, and you're Jesus only, amen, and you, you think it's your way, and that's, you know, no, it's the Word, amen, it's the Word's way, and there shouldn't be all these different uh, fractions of beliefs, amen, because there's one Lord, His name is Jesus, and there's one faith, hallelujah, and there's one baptism, can you say amen, one God, hallelujah, who's above all, through all, and in you all, amen. And so if you skip down to verse 11 there in chapter 4, it says, He gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And this is what we call the fivefold ministry, okay? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And so people that come before us fit into these different categories of ministry, that's what we call the fivefold ministry. This is what the, the ministry is for. Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, the maturing of the saints. That's why we come together to learn about the Word of God, to grow, hallelujah, in the Word of God, to grow unto the faith of Jesus Christ. And so it's for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. It's the edifying of the body, amen? When you come to church, we are lifted up. And he actually says that that's why you come as an individual, right? He says, and as you see the day approaching, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, 26, somewhere in there, says... Uh, assembling ourselves together and so much the more as you see the day approaching. But it says to exhort one another, to encourage one another. Exhorting is to use your voice, right? And pastor's been teaching us about the power of using our voice in worship, but it's also needed when we exhort one another. So it, you should make it your duty, you should endeavor to exhort somebody. Say, hey, it's good to see you in the house of the Lord today. I hope you had a good week. You can make it in Jesus' name. Amen? Find somebody. Remember their name. Just call out their name. That, that alone can do great things. Amen? But he's Paul's saying that that's our duty. We need to make it our duty, not just to come in and hear the word, feel the word, but it, we have this... Uh, we have this... Uh, Desire, we should have this desire to fall unto the unity of the, of the faith. It says that in verse 13. Till we all come into the unity. Everybody say unity. Of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. That means mature. Amen. We mature in the Lord. We're never all go, always going to be perfect. Unto the measure and the stature, the fullness of Christ. Verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. He's saying, so this fivefold ministry is there. It's put there so that we can learn. We come into the unity of the faith. We come into the perfecting of the saints. Amen. So that we're not, <coughs> we're not confused by the world and all their philosophies. And even he said there's men 
that'll try to come in in their craftiness and try to deceive you. Amen? And so there's no new doctrine, folks. It's the same thing that's always been. Amen? Repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Amen? The gospel doesn't change. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so when we come into the house of God and the fivefold ministry is in operation, it's for our maturing. That's why it's so important for us to be in the house of God. Amen? It's not just so that we can have a large number that we can send off to the Sunday school department. Amen? So that we had this money in Sunday school. But we need to be here. We need to be in the house of God. We need to hear the word. Hallelujah. Because it perfects us. It matures us. It brings us into the unity and we're not children that are tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine amen verse 15 but speaking the truth in love we may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ so we have to speak the word we do it in love sometimes the words a little hard right cuts off the rough edges of us we have to say it plainly and speak the truth. That's the word of God. Amen. But we do it all in love. Amen. Everyone's welcome into the house of God. Amen. We don't keep anybody from coming into the house of God as long as they're not causing a disturbance. And as long as they're not causing disunity amongst the, the church. Amen. And I've seen pastor get upset a few times and mostly it's because somebody's come in amongst the fold, the sheepfold, and try to cause disturbance or disunity, amen, amongst the church. That'll really get our pastor stirred up. Amen. And so we have to protect about that. That's his job as the, the shepherd of the church, the under-shepherd, amen. That's his job to protect the church, to preach the truth, amen. Speaking the truth in love. Verse 17, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. So this portion of Ephesians written basically to the Gentiles that are in Ephesus. And that was the great mystery that was made manifest. That now this great truth is open not just to the Jews but unto the Gentiles. Can you say thank you Jesus? Hallelujah. And he says, don't walk as the other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the under, their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And that means the callousness or the hardness or the stiff-neckedness of their heart. And that's why we have to come before God with a so soft heart in meekness, and humility so that the Word of God can do its work. You have the ability to sit through every service, hear the Word of God, and not receive it. Amen. Because our hearts can get calloused. And that's why it's so important for us to find a place to pray and say, Oh God, speak to me this morning. Speak to me, God. And I pray this a lot. I said, God, do whatever needs to be done in my life that my soul's going to be saved. Amen. That's the most important thing. That our souls are saved, that we hear the word of God, that we're pliable 
that we're obedient to God's word, amen? We have to be very careful because this is serious business, amen? You ever known anybody? We probably all know somebody that's got a calloused heart once in church, but you go and try to talk to them, and, and there's a callous over that heart. They're, they're not receptive to what you're trying to get to there. You're not, they're not receptive to the Word of God like they used to be, amen? And so we have to be very careful that we don't allow this hardness, this stiff-neckedness to come. We need to be humble and meek before the Lord. He said, be a servant of Him. That just simply means to be a slave. We're a slave of Jesus Christ. Paul put it this way, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I can't do anything. I'm a prisoner of Him. We're, we're just slaves. We have no rights. Amen? We have no say in the Word of God, praise God. It, it's when we come under His, uh, uh, under Christ and under Christ and His leadership in our lives, we lose all of our rights. We're just following after Him. Amen? If you're not careful, you can get a calloused heart that says, bless God, I don't, I'm not doing that. Bless God, I'm not doing that. Amen? That's when our hearts can get calloused and get hardened. We need to have a soft heart open to him. Verse 19, who being past feeling hath given themselves over to lasciviousness and the work of all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. The truth is in Jesus, folks. <laughs> Keep Jesus at the center of your life. Hallelujah. And that you put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new man, amen, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Putting on the new man. Paul's writing here. He says, you've got this great invitation. You're called you're redeemed, hallelujah, and you're sealed. He says, but with all of that, you have to remember that there's going to be a change in your life. You're going to have to change. We want the, the Word of God to change to fit into our lives, right? But God wants us to change to fit into the Word, amen? We've got to realize that we have to put on a new man. We've got to live a new life. We are going in a new direction. Put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are all members one of another. We're all the body of Christ. Amen. And the hand can't say to the foot. I have no need of you. We need each other. Amen. Look at your neighbor and said, we need you. Hallelujah. 26. Be angry. Ever been angry? It's actually okay to get angry. Amen. Kind of gives us that indicator. You can get angry, but sin not. That individual is going to rub you the wrong way, right? Get angry sometimes, but don't sin. Don't say anything you don't want to say. Don't say anything you're going to have to go back later and ask forgiveness for. That's the hard part, right? So if we can stop ourselves, 
before that happens, just get angry and get over it. Amen? Let not the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, don't go to bed with anything in your heart, bitterness, hatred, anger. Get that all off out of your heart. Amen? Before the sun goes down, neither give place to the devil. Amen. That should be able to be said, uh, known without saying, right? Don't give place to the devil. But he's telling them, don't give an inch. Don't give place to him. Let him that steals, steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Everybody say, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Amen. We have to be able to forgive others if we want to be forgiven. Think about that. Don't allow unforgiveness to keep you out of heaven. We have to, and my goodness, this, you know, our relationships down here on earth are so uh, intense, aren't they? They're so important. They're so intense, and and uh, you know it makes us or breaks us sometimes. But Paul's trying to write to the Ephesians here, and he says, you know, you can rise above that. You don't have to be like other Gentiles. He says, I want you to make it your uh, duty to endure and to go through the things that we had to go through in our personality conflicts. And he says, be careful that you don't have this root. Of bitterness. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. He said, So this bitterness that can come into our lives, you know, he puts it here in Hebrews as the root of bitterness. And you know, the a root gets its nourishment from whatever it's drinking, right, and however deep it goes. And so whatever direction it's going, amen. So if a tree is, is uh, absorbing the good stuff, the good water, then it's going to grow, amen. But if it absorbs contaminated water, then the tree is going to be diseased and be unhealthy, amen. So the more that you dwell on something that's past, a hurt, that's where bitterness comes from, the more that you dwell on it, the more our heart absorbs it. That root goes down further. He calls it a root of bitterness. Think about that. A root of bitterness is underneath the ground. Something you don't even see, the root, right? You ever see a big tree that's toppled over and you see all those roots that are there and underground? Sometimes they're as big as the tree is on the outside and as far reaching as those. And he talks about that in our bitterness towards other people, he said, don't allow that to happen, amen, because the more you dwell on it, the deeper the root goes, and the harder it is to remove, 
Never fought to remove some roots. Matthew 7, 18 says, A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. So the bitter root produces poisonous fruit. If you've got bitterness, you can fake it or go through the motions, but you're going to produce bitter fruit or poisonous fruit. The New Living's translation says this, reads like this for Hebrews 12, 15. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Amen? No poisonous root. It's a poison. Amen? It will defile or it will corrupt you. It simply means it's contaminated. Amen? But the key here, when we look into this, the key phrase here is don't let it happen because it's going to trouble you. When we hold something against somebody else, we think we're troubling them. <laughs> right? Bless God, I'm not going to speak to them. Bless God, I'm not going to shake their hand. Amen. Bless God, I'm not going to do it, you know, what they want me to do. Amen. But the, the, the phrase here is that when that bitterness gets a hold of you, it troubles you. It's like carrying around a suitcase that's handcuffed to your wrist. It's everywhere you go. You got that bitterness. You're just dragging. You're not free from it. Till you're able to let it loose. Hallelujah. One definition of bitterness is the poison pill that I take hoping that you'll die. Amen. Bitterness is the poison pill that I take hoping you'll die. Amen. So we feel justified sometimes by our actions. And we think, well, you know, they deserve it. Or we can say, you don't know what they did to me. Amen. And the problem is so deep, sometimes we don't even realize it. And that's what the Word of God's all about, folks. So sometimes we look in a mirror and we walk away and we forget what manner of man we really are. But the Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So we get that Word in our lives and we're able to see ourselves as we really are. And when we're able to see ourselves as we really are, then we are able to have forgiveness and compassion on those of our brothers and sisters that are around us. And that's what Paul is trying to say to the church of Ephesus. Hey, you got all this, you're, you're in the church, great thing. He said, but now what's so important is your relationship with one another. Amen. Aren't you glad you didn't have to come to church by yourself today? Amen. We have our brothers and our sisters in the Lord to come and to worship the Lord with us. And we're all just trying to make it to heaven. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So endure your brother. Endure your sister. Make it your job. Make it your effort to put up with one another. It's for a purpose. Bringing it into the unity of the faith. So that the world can see our love one to another. And say, hey, they must be disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you this morning for your attention. Let's all stand and pray in dismissing. Jesus, we love you, Lord. We thank you, God, for your word. And pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand the importance of having love one to another. Help us, oh God, to get rid of all unforgiveness, all bitterness that might be in our heart. Help us to make it our duty, God, to make unity a priority in the house of God. 
We know that when we unite in unity, the power of God moves in our presence like never before. And you can do your work in this world in which we're living. God, we bring you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. And let all God's people shout amen.